Is anybody glad about the change Jesus has made? Hallelujah. Once was lost, but now I'm found. Once was blind, but now I see. Somebody give him a shout of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, I'm glad about it. I'm glad about the change he's made in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated all across this building. Amen. I want to say on the outset of this, as we're getting ready uh, to jump into our Bible study here tonight, um, I want to say it was an honor to baptize on Saturday. Amen. We baptized Sister Amber's mother and her son in Jesus' name. And then also on Sunday after church, I see him back there trying to duck out. Brother Dan Machado was baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. Thankful for that. Thankful for people following and obeying the word of God. And I want to tell you, there's a lot more folks out there. We just got to find them and tell them, amen, the plan of salvation. And uh, if you need any notes on how to do that, I've got all sorts of materials that will help you do that. So just go and tell everybody that you can and and, uh, and I believe there's a revival stirring, and God's doing great things. And everybody said amen to that. If you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, we're going to kind of spend our time in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. I mean, the last several weeks we have been speaking about the, the two sons that Abraham had. The son Ishmael, which was produced by a bondwoman, and the son Isaac, that was produced by a free woman, amen, by Sarah and by Hagar. And we have really taken what Paul did, and he spoke of the allegory of these two things, one being the law and the other being grace. Another, the children, what comes as a production from those, you have the flesh, and the flesh leads to temptation, leads to death. And then finally, on the other side, you have Isaac, the son of promise. What grace produces is it should produce a spirit-filled life. And uh, last week, we spent our time talking about the fight of the flesh and the spirit. The Bible declares that Ishmael persecuted Isaac. And Paul correlates this all, and he says, it is still happening today. Your flesh is constantly persecuting your spirit. That flesh that rises up in each one of us is constantly fighting against us. And uh, we talked about it a little bit last week, but your flesh is fighting against you because it doesn't care about whether you are lost or you are saved. Your flesh is not going with you. And so our flesh is bent on causing and doing all the things that the Word of God would stand against because all the flesh is concerned with is satisfying itself. And uh, this is why we are called to walk in the Spirit. Amen. The Bible tells us that if we will walk in the Spirit, we, we should not and we will not fulfill the lusts or the deeds of the flesh. Amen. Romans 8 tells us to be carnally minded is to be the enemy of God. And this is why Paul is dealing with the struggle in Romans 7 of the flesh and the spirit and how there's constantly this combat between the two. And we as spirit-filled believers, we receive the Holy Ghost. That is Christ in us, the hope of glory. It is there to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And all of those things are in us, and that Spirit is in us, so that we can walk not according to the ways of our flesh and what we desire, but so that we can walk in His Spirit. So when you and I got the Holy Ghost, it was more than just speaking in other tongues. We got the Holy Ghost. It became our advocate. The Bible talks about it and calls Him the Comforter. Even the comforter is the Holy Ghost. The word that we get comforter from is paraclete, which means one that joins alongside you. Amen. When Paul talks about the battle of the flesh and the spirit, he lets us know that this battle is an impossible battle if we live in the flesh. 
if you and I live in the flesh, we will constantly find ourselves giving in to it. And we will find ourselves constantly falling to it. But when we have the paraclete, this is where we, we, we find ourselves uh, uh, with a helper alongside us. Now where we were weak in the flesh because we've been filled with the Spirit, where we did not have strength, we now have strength to overcome. Where our flesh just got us to say yes, 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 we now have the Holy Ghost inside us pushing on the proverbial brakes telling us, no, don't go that direction. How many thankful that you're filled with the Holy Ghost? Amen. I thank God for the Holy Ghost. Where I didn't have the strength or the ability, now we have the strength and the ability to say no. And so... How do we know we're operating the flesh? We talked about it. Uh, the flesh is a counterfeit. It looks for compliance. Just do the bare minimums, what we can do to get away with it, uh, and then just let me go on my way. But the Spirit looks to convert you and I. Amen. The flesh is looking for ways that it can fit in and it can conform. Just hurry up and get to the place where I'll finally be left alone. The flesh likes its comfort, and so it wants to find a place of conforming. But the Spirit is looking to transform us, amen, to take us from one person to another person. This is why the first miracle Jesus ever did, he turned water into wine. He took one thing from one molecular structure and turned it into another molecular structure. I want to tell you that the, the change and the transformation the Spirit brings should change you from one person into a completely different person. Amen. The flesh looks for behavior modification. Just make me a cleaner sinner. Just make me a little bit better than I was before. But the Spirit is looking to completely transform you and I. I thank God for His Spirit. Amen. And so God told Abraham, you are to give up this bondwoman and her son because it is constantly persecuting the child of promise. And God's promise, the Bible declares, that his promise and his covenant will be with Isaac. Amen. And so Isaac is the promised child. Isaac is the promised son that is to come forth. And it is in him that all of the nations of the earth will be blessed, not in Ishmael. And so God is not investing his time or his energy into Ishmael. He's going to take care of him because of a previous covenant. But he is going to take time and take care of Ishmael. And so for years, Ish Isaac begins to grow. And Ishmael is trying to persecute. But finally, they get rid of Ishmael. And he's able to now walk in freedom and in liberty. Amen. This is an Old Testament typology of when we finally get freed from the law. And, and, and I'm not talking about we live above the law, but we go into a place of grace. Grace being a greater law that now we can truly walk in spiritual freedom and in spiritual liberty. It is in there that Isaac is able to mature and as Isaac is able to grow. But then we find ourselves a place in Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to go there now. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 1. Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And he said to him, Behold, here I am. Verse number 2. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Amen. Think about this for a moment. He has waited over a hundred years for this kid. Then he shows up, and he grows up. And uh, there's a lot of debate on how old he gets and how old he is. But many people believe he's about 20 years old. This is not, he's no longer a little tiny boy. He is now able, uh, that Isaac has grown to a certain place. And, and, and it is here in this moment that God speaks to Abraham and says, Get that child, get that son of yours, your only son that you love, and go into the land of Moriah and offer him for a burnt sacrifice. After all the years of waiting, God asks for the most precious thing in Abraham's life. And the Bible says God did this to tempt him. Now, you've got to understand, 
Uh, there's some people say, well, hold on. Doesn't James say that God won't tempt you with evil? You're right. God will not tempt man with evil. But what James is talking about in that context is God is not going to tempt you to sin. That's your flesh, and that's the devil. God will not tempt you, but this word is, simply means to test or uh, to prove. And it is here in this moment, after all of Abraham's life, he's coming to the culmination of his life. He's finally waited for the promise. He's finally received the promise. And now God is asking him to sacrifice the promise. It is all part of a test. And, 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 and let me just say this for a moment. God will test you. God will test you. It is, it is part of our existence, part of our walk, that God will prove some things. God will test some things. And this might not seem fair, but really, it is not a test so much for God to figure some things out. But it is a test and an opportunity to prove Abraham. Abraham is getting an opportunity to prove himself. I know some folks that don't like testing. I know I don't. Anybody else in the house of the Lord? You like being tested? I don't like being tested. But how many has ever taken a test in school and you didn't like it when you took it, but you're sure glad you did when you got done with it, you saw the A-plus on there? Now you're proud of that test you took. Amen. There's something about going through a test, and it's not so much the test that matters. It's what the test produced that matters. I'm going somewhere with this. Amen. The Bible tells us that we are not to despise the fiery trials or tests that are to test us or prove us or try us. Because J Peter tells us that the trial of our faith is more precious than silver or gold that perishes. I want to tell you what the test and the proving produces in your life is more valuable than the test you go through. It might seem like the most severe and extreme thing that God, amen, allows you to go through and you sometimes want to hang up your hat, throw in the towel. But I want to tell you, if you can go through the test and pass the test and remember and remind yourself, this is just a test. I want to tell you, you will come out more purified than you've ever been. You will come out better than you've ever been. Oh, somebody ought to give the Lord some praise. I know a lot of folks that praise God. They praise God for the many blessings, but they have a hard time praising God for the testings. I want to tell you, the testings are God's way of elevating us. He will not elevate us without a test. Amen. Every time you get ready to go to another level, God is going to test you. And it is a great thing. Amen. I want you to tell you, God was giving Abraham an opportunity to find, for Abraham to find out. He didn't know how he was doing until the test came. And so it is with us. We don't often know where we're at until the test arrives. You know, there's something about that pressure test. Amen. That we don't really know where we have some deficiencies until we hit the pressure test. And this is why uh, they do crash tests. They thank God they don't do it with real people. They do it with they do it with test dummies. Amen. They want to find out where all of the flaws are, because they don't want to put that car on the road and let it drive down the freeway with all sorts of errors and all sorts of imp impurities and imperfections, because one mistake might be too many. And so they want to put it through the test. And God does this with us. He allows us to go through these testing because he wants us to find out the areas in which we need to improve. I want to tell you, sometimes a test comes into our life because we brought it into our life. Sometimes it's some bad decision we made. Amen. Paul talks about this, if anyone suffer as an evildoer. Amen. Sometimes you get in trouble because you were speeding. That wasn't a test from God. That was called you broke the law. Amen. There's sometimes the devil comes by, amen, and he is trying to tempt us because he wants to get us to walk away from God. He is trying to tempt us to sin or to do evil or to do wrong. The Bible says the answer to that, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. And there are times when God puts us to the test and God puts us to the proving. But every time God puts us to the test, it is to improve us. Amen. The proving is to improve. Amen. God allows you to go through stuff because he's trying to make a better version of you. And this is exactly what's happened with Abraham. Abraham 
And here's the story, because we get to read it from hindsight. We get to look at the whole story. Abraham, do you love me, or do you love what I give you? Abraham, do you love me, or do you love the promise that I gave you? Do you love the blessing that I gave you? Amen. There's so many people that they, man, I love God, until they, there's some things in their life that start getting messed with. And then we find out real quick that they were more in love with God's blessing. Hallelujah. God wants to know. And it's important for, for us to find out where we really stand. And there's been times where I've gone through those kind of moments and come to find out, I, man, I love the ritual of going to church. I loved, I loved the good habit I was in. But when I went through the testing, I found out, man, I wasn't really loving God as much as I should. And it was in those that I got an opportunity to change those things and to fix those things. And so there's always testing, and God brings that testing into Abraham's life. But I want you to notice, this is after Abraham has already gone through 100 years. He's gone through about 25-year period of waiting on the promise. He then receives the promise, and he's sitting somewhere between, you know, 13 to, to 20 years or so of enjoying the promise. And now God is saying, give it back to me. And, you know, there's some of us that we work so hard to get where we are that sometimes God has to test us and God has to find, help us find out what's most important. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know it's, it's like uh, God calls you and God gets you to, to do something and, and, and God brings a calling into your life. But now he says, now set that down. Man, I would love, I, I thank God for the opportunity to be a pastor. Amen. It's the greatest gift and calling of my life. But if God came to me and said, lay it down, it may not make sense to me. And I'll be honest with you, I might fight God on that. But I have to be willing to lay it down. We have to be willing to give God the things that are the most precious to us. Because God will not have anything between him and us, even the things he gives to us. Amen. God gave you that spouse, but God doesn't want your spouse to be, to be between you and him. God gave you those kids, but he doesn't want those kids to be between you and him. God gave you that job, but he doesn't want that job to get between you and him. God gave you that nice house, that nice car, those many material blessings. But God does not want those material blessings to get between you and him. And so God's going to find out, and God's going to help you find out where you really stand. Are you, are you on the side that says, God, it's all yours? anyways you can have it all or are you on the other side that says no God I just was I just served you so I could get all these things and acquire all these things but now I don't really know about the rest of that and so God's going to put us to the test but I want you to notice after 120 or so years Abraham and this is his heartbeat verse number three so Abraham rose up early in the morning he rose up early in the morning, he saddled his ass, and he took his two men with him and, his, and Isaac, his son. And they cut down wood for a burnt offering and rose up and went to the place where God had told them. It's a three-day journey to get there. But Abraham, he could have very easily said, God, let's put this test off. You know, God, let me just go on one more good vacation. Let me just put off my obedience until a more convenient day. God, let's find out where I really stand in about a year. No. Amen. The Bible says he rose up first thing in the morning. God, which, indic which is indicative that God spoke to him that previous night. And he didn't wait to get a full night's rest. He got up first thing in the morning and he grabbed all of the materials that we, he would need. I want to tell you, it's important for us to obey God. Amen. Even when he calls us to offer things and to sacrifice things that are the most precious to us, we cannot wait to be obedient to God. And this is what's powerful about Abraham. We've done the study all the way to this point about Abraham's life. Abraham has followed God, has obeyed God, has messed up before God, has repented before God. But here he is, the wisdom of an old man. He's got all the way to the end of his life. And now we see a lesson that I hope all of us can get here tonight. That Abraham is no longer resisting God. He's no longer fighting the will of God. He's no longer fighting the ways of God. He's no longer trying to do it his own way because he knows what his own ways got him. It hasn't led to the greatest of things. And here he is. He's no longer at the place where he's resisting getting rid of Ishmael. He's now already gotten rid of Ishmael, but now God is asking for Isaac, and he's finally come to the place of full surrender. I want to tell you, 
God is going to get every one of us to the place of full, full surrender. I feel the Holy Ghost up in here. There's so many of us, we have partial surrender. We have, uh, uh, we have surrender that is on a time limit. I'll surrender until. But God is not looking for a surrender that has all of these other things attached to it. Amen. God is looking for a surrender that is free from all of the fine print. Ooh, hallelujah. I want to tell you, our Christian existence is not, is not going to ever be complete until he gets a full surrender from us. Our Christian existence is, is not complete until we are willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. We don't get a Christianity without the cross. We don't get a Christianity without full surrender. And there's so many people, man, I, they, they'll tell you, I love God more than anything. And here's the real story. We'll see. That's from me to you to everybody. Because there will come a moment in your life where God is going to ask for full surrender. And it is in that moment you don't talk about it. You don't proclaim it to other people to sound like a good Christian. But it is in those moments when God fully brings that surrender before you, an opportunity to surrender, and we will find out, and you will find out, and God will find out, and the adversary will find out if you truly have full surrender. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody ought to pray right now. Lift up your hands. I got a lot we could, we're going to talk about tonight, but, but I just feel the Holy Ghost on that. Don't wait until you're 120 years old to have full surrender. Don't wait until, well, I have the house, the car, the kids, the grandkids. No, you got to learn how to surrender now. Abraham's life would have been different if he'd have learned full surrender earlier. Somebody pray. Mm. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. And Abraham did not wait. He was ready. I wonder what happened to us tonight if God said the very, and in fact, you know, if I were to say, all right, folks, we're going to sacrifice right now. Immediately something came to your brain and said anything but that. You got to be, you got to give up and immediately something comes to your mind. Okay, God, I'll give you anything but that. And there comes those moments where God's, and I'm not saying, and let me, let me define this out because uh, th there is an ending to this story. But God will often ask things because he, he wants us to find out for ourselves. Are you willing uh, there's times where I've, I know I know what it is. God has asked me to lay down some some certain ambitions, some certain pride, some certain uh, certain uh, uh, pet pet desires of what I wanted to do with my life, and I had to be willing to lay them down. I'll never forget. I felt the call of God to ministry. It's all I had wanted to do. God called me into it, but I'll never forget the day God asked me to lay that down on the altar. Well, here I am in ministry today. I don't think it was so much that God was trying to get rid of that, but God wanted to know, do you love me more than you love the idea of that? And there will be moments, and this is what Abraham did. He did not wait. He surrendered immediately, and he rose up early in the morning. He grabbed all of the utensils, and he continued. And this three-day journey he is marching knowing these are the last three days he will have with his son the last three days he will have with this promise verse number four then on the third day abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off and abraham said unto his young men abide here with the ass and i and the lad will go yonder and worship and come to you again on the third day, Abraham saw the place afar off. I wonder to myself when reading this and studying this, I wonder what Abraham saw. I wonder what he saw. Because while he gets to the place of Moriah, he's got to go up Mount Moriah. And he looks up, and, and I want to tell you, this is very significant. Mount Moriah, anybody, uh, I know there's a couple here. Who, who's been to Israel? we got one, two, three, four, we got five got five folks have been to Israel. You, you may have been there. It's probably part of your journey. It's probably uh, they, it's on every, just about every tour. But Mount Moriah is the site of numerous biblical acts of faith. It is also one of the most valuable and most hotly contested pieces of real estate on the earth today. There is a war going on right now in Israel. You know, Pastor, we're reading this really old book. What does it matter? There is a war going on tonight. I want you to understand this. Tonight, over this piece of land.
The Bible is more than just a book. The Bible is a prophetic book. The Bible is showing all sorts of things. And we're not getting into eschatology tonight. But I want to tell you, this piece of property is not just anything. This piece of property called Mount Moriah is sacred, not just to Christians, but to Jews and to Muslims. It is there on the top of Mount Moriah. Today is the Temple Mount. This is where the first temple was built. This is also important to, to, to the Islamic religion because they have the Dome of the Rock there. This is a Muslim shrine built about 1,300 years ago. And they've got one of their most, if not their most sacred mosque. And it has even been prophesied that the temple will be rebuilt on this place. They are fighting over this right now. All of those little conflicts, you think, what's the point? It's a desert. It's not even, you know, it's got some beauty to it, but it's, it's a desert. There's not much to be desired. You can find a plot of land anywhere, but you've got to understand, it was there thousands of years ago that, that Abraham takes his son up the top of this mountain that God showed to him. And he takes this boy up on top of the mountain with the intention to obey God and to live a life of full surrender and to sacrifice his son and it is there on that mountain that they decided we're going to build the temple. And the temple gets destroyed. And it was there that through years of conflict, other religions rising up, they take this sacred place and they build upon it. And it is there prophesied that one day that the temple will be rebuilt on there. And that is, that is, that is eschatology we don't have time for here today. But Abraham, when he looked, he saw that place afar off. I don't know what he saw. But I want you to notice what his intention was when he saw it. His intention was, we, I of the lad, are going up to worship. I want to ask you, what did God ask for him? Ask from him. It wasn't worship. He asked for him a sacrifice. But the mindset of Abraham, see, we can see Mount Moriah, we see all those historical things. But when he looked up there, all he saw was an opportunity to live a life of worship. God required of him sacrifice, but Abraham equates sacrifice to worship, being indistinguishable, that you cannot have true worship without sacrifice, and you cannot have true surrender without sacrifice. But I want you to notice something else that Abraham said that's intriguing to me. Abraham said that we are going up to worship and we are coming back down. We are going up to worship, and we are coming back down. I want to ask you, how did he know that they were both coming back down if God had asked of him and required of him Isaac's life? This proves to us a couple things. Number one, it proves to us that Abraham knew more about God than we might give him credit. He had a close enough and a deep enough relationship with God that he knew his God would not ask of human sacrifice. He knew that this son, Isaac, and him would return. But also, he understood more about God through the means, amen, of his power. If you have your Bibles, the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go back to Hebrews or Genesis chapter uh, 22, and we'll finish the rest of that story. But I want to give Hebrews account. Hebrews 11 and 17. Amen. Hebrews 11 and 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. I love how it just correlates that. Here you have a promised son, a promised child. He tells him it's your only son because Abram had a son and Abraham had a son. But they both only had one son. Amen. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall all thy seed be called. Remember the promise. Imagine this three-day journey. Three-day journey to a place of sacrifice. And all he can remember is God said, that you are going to be blessed and your children are going to be the sand of the seashore. And I'll tell you who it's coming through. It's coming through Isaac. 
that's who the child, the child that you're about to produce is called Isaac. And through Isaac's going to be all of the nations of the earth and all of these other things. And this is what it says. This is the way that Abraham had faith in God, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. I want to tell you what Abraham's faith tells us. Abraham's pure surrender shows us, number one, he believed that God was not interested in human sacrifice. Number two, it shows us Abraham had enough faith, being probably the first person in our Bible, to believe in a resurrection. He believed that even if I bring the knife down, it will not stop there. Because he believed the word of God so true that in Isaac shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And so Abraham, I want you to understand the faith of Abraham. Everybody shout, even if. Even if I kill him, God's going to bring him back to life. Even if this thing doesn't work out the way I think it's going to work out, God's going to make it work out somehow. I want to tell you the faith of Abraham was even if I bring this knife down, there is going to be a resurrection because God's word is true. It is not possible that God should lie. And even if I kill it, there's a resurrection coming. Can I preach to somebody for just a moment? You cannot kill a promise. If God gave a promise to you, it will not die. And even if it dies, it will be resurrected. Oh, somebody ought to give him praise here tonight. This was, a, this was a figure, a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. This was a type and shadow that an only begotten son would, in fact, be resurrected from the dead. Going back to he, Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter uh, 22. Amen. I want to tell you the way that the Hebrews puts it. It was down, it came, if it came down to it, Abraham believed God's word so much that he knew resurrection would happen because God said Isaac was the one that the seed would be blessed through. And he knew that even God cannot lie. And so if God says, I got to kill him, that means God's bringing him back to life. We must not hesitate to offer the most precious things in our life to God because with him, the most precious things are safe. Let me say that again. With him, the most precious things are safe safe. Amen. But I want you to notice verse number six. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. It shows us that Isaac is, again, not a little boy. He's old enough to carry the wood. Now his son, his father, Abraham, is over 120 years old or so. He's an old man. He's still marching up mountains. He's still worshiping God. He's still sacrificing. And he lays the wood upon his son Isaac and he took the fire in his hand and he took a knife and they went both of them together and verse 7 and Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said my father and he said here I am my son and he said behold the fire and the wood but where is the lamb for a burnt offering amen I want to tell you amen that he looked at his father and he said father I see wood I see fire but where's the sacrifice? Hallelujah. Where is the sacrifice? Because he had he learned enough from his father that we're going to build an altar. And on this altar, we're going to lay wood. And on this altar, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to put it on fire. And on this altar, we always have a sacrifice of blood because that's what God's required all the way through the Old Testament. But I don't see a sacrifice. And I love the way that Abraham and in his faith put it. Verse number 8, Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Notice he said, God's got a lamb. I don't see it yet, but God's got a lamb. And that lamb will be for a burnt offering. Uh, and so they both went together. I want you to notice what's happening. He understands the elements of sacrifice and the elements of worship. There's got to be blood. There's got to be sacrifice. And if there's not sacrifice, it's not true worship. Dad, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham, amen, I can tell it's probably hard, it's probably hard for him. Amen. As he's doing all of this, marching this whole way, he knows what's going to happen. Amen. It doesn't matter how much faith you have. It doesn't matter, amen, how faithful to God you are. You're in this moment. This is, this is the, the moment where the knife's about to come, and you know the sacrifice has got to be made, and you've got to stare your kid in the eyes and tell him the sacrifice is coming. 
I want you to understand the typology of this. This is every single one of us without Jesus. Every single one of us are Isaac. Every single one of us have a death sentence over our lives. Every single one of us, from the moment we are born, amen, as David said, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And the Bible says in Romans 6 and 23, the wages of sin are death. Every one of us, from the time we were born, we had the sentence of death over us. We were nothing more than Isaac. We knew that we were to die, and we look up towards our Father, and we ask the question, is there not another sacrifice? Without Jesus, we have that death sentence. But Abraham said, the Lord shall prepare himself a sacrifice. Every Old Testament character was looking for the perfect sacrifice. They had their eyes on the perfect sacrifice. It was not in their day, and you can even read about it in Hebrews 11, said that they, they had dreamed about the promise. They prayed for the promise. What was the promise? I want to tell you what the promise was. The promise was Jesus. And here Abraham builds the altar. The altar's completed, and he looks out into the distance. And he's thinking to himself, how can I give my son up? How can I give up the child of my old age? How can I give up the symbol of promise? How am I going to go back and tell his mother what I've done? Amen. After all these years, and, he, and his son asks him the question, where is the lamb? And Abraham places his hand on his son's shoulder. Amen. And with a trembling voice, he tells him, Isaac, my son, you are the lamb. And he straps him to that altar. Amen. Verse number 9, and they came to the place where God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar of wood. And verse 10, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Amen. Notice, amen, that in this moment, Isaac could have seized the knife and struck his father down. We're talking about a 20-year-old versus a 120-year-old. Not much of a contest. But as a true type of Christ, he opened not his mouth, but he laid down willingly upon the altar and was bound with cords. I want to tell you, we can't, we can't forsake and miss this willingness of Isaac. Isaac was willing to be a sacrifice. Amen. I want to just talk to somebody for a moment. Amen. Well, I don't know what God has for my life. I want to tell you, you got to be willing. You don't know what God has for your life. That's all right. You've got to be willing to just surrender and say yes. We talk about the faith of Abraham. We talk about the trying of Abraham. But this is much, was as much a trying of Isaac as it was for Abraham. Amen. Abraham had to give up what he loved the most. But I want to tell you, Isaac had to be willing to lay down his own life if that meant pleasing God. Isaac could have fought back, but he didn't fight back. Abraham, amen, he ties his son up, this willing sacrifice knowing that there has to be death in order for there to be, amen, an atonement for all of our sins. And it was there, amen, in this moment where he lifts up the knife over his head. It seems as if Abraham, he knows what has to be done, but he's, he's, he's still wondering, amen, God, I know you don't really believe in this human sacrifice business. And he goes to bring down the knife, but there in verse 11, the angel of the Lord calls unto him out of heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham, probably the most incredible moment in his entire life. Amen. No other word from God was more important or more powerful to Abraham than this. Amen. And he puts that knife down immediately and says, here I am. Amen. His faith, amen, to the very last moment was being tested and being tried. In verse number 12, the angel of the Lord says, Lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. Can I tell somebody here today, amen, it was twofold. Uh, amen, God is all-knowing, but there was a testing there to find out for Abraham, for Abraham to find out for himself where he stood, but also it was a testing to find out what kind of follower God had in Abraham. Amen, God didn't want human sacrifice, but I want to tell you, you just got to read your Bible a little bit. You find every 
every single religion in history uh, has believed in some form of human sacrifice. Uh, and God was wanting to know in that moment, do my people love me as much as the world loves their gods? I just want to know, Abraham, do you love me? Are you willing to do what the servants of Molech are willing to do? Are you, uh, do you love me as much as you love them? And it was there. Amen. He says, don't lay your hand on the child. I know now you love me. Amen. Verse number 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a, behold behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Verse number 14. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh which simply means the Lord is my provider. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Amen. I want to tell you, it was here on Mount Moriah, he took the knife and was willing to offer what he cared about the most to prove to God how much he loved God. And it was in this moment he was willing to sacrifice everything to fulfill the Old Testament commandment that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Uh, Abraham was fulfilling through faith that Old Testament commandment. He was willing to do it. Amen. And when he lifted up his eyes from Mount Moriah, amen, I want to tell you all those that have been to Israel, you know this. From Mount Moriah, you can see another mountain. Amen. I want to tell you about this other mountain. This Old Testament Abraham is willing to offer his only begotten son. Is willing to do it because it's what God has asked and what God has required of him. But from this mountain of Moriah, there's another mountain called Calvary. You can see this other mountain. And here, Abraham doesn't know it. Amen. He said, the Lord shall provide for himself a, 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 a lamb. And I love how the Bible puts it. That when God told him no, he looked behind him and he saw a ram. While he looked behind him, he sees the Old Testament. All the sacrifices, Romans and Hebrews tells us, the blood of bulls and goats and rams and animal sacrifice. As we study the Bible, we'll, we'll talk about the Old Testament sacrificial system. But that's all that was behind Abraham and all that was in the Old Testament was the lambs and the rams and all of the animals. But if you look forward, if you look forward from Abraham, you'll see another mountain by the name of Calvary. If you look from Mount Moriah, you can see it. And there, two, a couple thousand years from Abraham's existence, amen, centuries later, amen, there is another procession winding its way up the hill, amen, called Calvary and there we see Jesus Christ uh, who is bearing a cross up a hill uh, amen the only begotten son of the father uh, God in flesh uh, and just like Isaac he is obediently going up this mountain uh, amen understanding I will be the sacrifice uh, but from this cross uh, he would not come down he would not remove himself. Isaac got it out because the Lord provided a sacrifice. I want to just remind everybody that we are Isaac. We have a death sentence over our life, but the Lord provides another sacrifice. So where you would have died, you don't have to die. Hallelujah. Can I preach to somebody? Abraham fulfilled the Old Testament law to love God. Amen. But I love the way that the Bible starts out in the New Testament. Amen. One of the most quoted scriptures. Amen. In the world. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Can I tell you, amen, that God loves you so much, amen, that he would not let you die. But there was a lamb that was provided, the lamb of God, John said, that takes away the sin of the world. Revelation says he is a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Can I preach to somebody? The Bible tells us he is the lamb that was slain that is ever making intercession for us there was a sacrifice Abraham didn't see it with natural eyes but he saw another mountain ahead of him that years later there would come a savior the only begotten son that would die for you and me I want to tell you in the Old Testament it was all about you loving God I want to find out how much you love God but I want to tell you about grace here today 
the New Testament's all about God so loving you. Hallelujah. It's all about, I want to tell you, it's all about God's love for humanity. And, and Abraham tied Isaac up with rope, but it was nails that held Jesus to this cross. But I want to tell you, it was not the nails that kept him there. It was his love for you, and it was his love for me. No metal on earth could ever hold Jesus to that cross if he wanted to come down. It was love. And I want to tell somebody here today, Abraham's sacrifice was nothing more than a shadow of the sacrifice that Jesus would make for you and I. Amen. Because God so loved our world, he knew I cannot leave you in this condition. Because if he leaves us in sin, the Bible says we will all die in sin. This is why it's so important, amen, for us to understand what I'm talking about here tonight. It's so important for us to understand that it was because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection that we have life. And the Bible tells us how we are to join him in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Number one, everybody say repentance. Every one of us must repent. That's how we die to sin. Everybody say baptism in Jesus' name. Amen. Every one of us must go through the waters of baptism. The Bible says we are buried with him through baptism. Everybody say receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. Resurrection power. The resurrection power that Abraham believed for comes upon us when we receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. You do not have to die in your sins and your trespasses. You don't have to die on that Old Testament altar. Amen. Being the sacrifice because the Lord provided a sacrifice in Jesus for you and for me. Let's stand across the building, lift up our hands all across this place. Hallelujah. Let's pray. All across this house. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't leave me, amen, in that position. I want to tell you, I want you to think how Isaac thought. Amen. If it wasn't for God, I would be dead. If it was not for God, I would be lost. If it was not for God, that blade would have come down. But thanks be to God for interceding. Thanks be to God for intervening. Thanks be to the Lamb of God. Every one of us, are, we are in Isaac's position. We are strapped to this proverbial altar. All of us, we are headed to die, to be lost. But Jesus shows up and says, I'll take their place. I want to tell you, that is the most beautiful ex display of God's love that you could ever have. Amen. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin. Amen. And he did that so that he might take away the sins of the world. Now, I know all of us, we read the story and go, man, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good story. But can you imagine the fear that Isaac felt? Understanding there is no other sacrifice? Hey, man, the fear that he thought, oh, my goodness, this is it. I want to tell you, without Jesus, that's what it's really, that's what it's really like. To know there's nothing between me and being lost. There's nothing between me and hell. There is no substitute. There is no sacrifice. But can you also imagine the relief when the knife stopped coming down? And all of a sudden, Abraham said, no, the Lord's got another sacrifice. I want to tell you, that's what grace feels like. You can see the knife coming down in your life and say, I, you know what? This is not what I wanted, but here it goes. And all of a sudden, Isaac, who 20, 21 years old, he's about to die, lose his life. All of a sudden... He's now given new life. He's now able to live where he would have died. I want to tell you, that's what salvation feels like. All of a sudden, there's a sacrifice where there was no sacrifice. There's a substitute who dies in my place. And where I would have been lost and I would have died, where I would have had no more life, Jesus shows up as a perfect sacrifice to give us life. Are you thankful for that here tonight? Would you lift up your hands and let's magnify the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for Calvary. Thank you, Lord. I, I, I get it. According to Old Testament laws, we would all be lost. According to the law, we've all sinned. According to the law, we've all fallen short. According to the law, we all are like Isaac. We all, we all would be strapped to that altar. We all would be, amen, having the knife put over our life. But thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift and his love wherewith he loved us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were without strength, amen, I want to thank you, God, for the relief that I feel. That I don't have to die for my sins. You already died for my sins. That I don't have to be lost for my sins. 
but God, you already paid the ultimate price for my sins. That God, I didn't have to go through that unbearable pain, but God, you bore it on your body on that cross. And it was not the nails that held you there. It was not the wood. It was not the spear. It was not the Roman soldiers. It was not the crowds crying, crucify him, crucify him. But what held you there is the love you had for me, uh, that you didn't want me to die, but you sacrificed yourself in my place. Amen. If you're thankful for that, would you come down to the altar and let's just thank him. Amen. Let's thank him for the blood. Let's thank him for the cross. Let's thank him that he took our place. Let's thank him that, that as Isaac, somebody else came in and took our place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the love. Come on, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the blood. Now behold the Lamb. Come on, thank you for the Lamb of God. Thank you for the, thank you that you came. You took upon the form of sinful man. And he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Thank you for being our perfect substitute, our perfect sacrifice. It still matters today. sacrifice there's another sacrifice holy is the lamb the precious lamb of god why you love me so lord i shall never know the precious lamb of You can lay it down at this altar. You can lay it down at this altar. Jesus already paid the price for it. Pastor, you don't know how bad I've been. I, I can't let Jesus pay the price for that. He already paid the price. He loves you. He loves you. Just give it to him. Lay it down at the foot of the cross. Lay it down at the altar. The precious Lamb of God. Why you love me so. Give us life again. 
Love him in this house. The precious Lamb of God. He was born into sin that I may live again. The precious Lamb of God. Ooh, after the Holy Ghost, He's still forgiven people. He's still, He's still being the substitute for people. He's still stepping in when they, when they were lost and he's taking their place. Thank you, Jesus. You know, church, we, we read the Bible. and I want to tell you, it's more than just any book. There, there's there's, there's got to become a connection. You know, in the Old Testament, when they sinned, there was a direct connection. Because the moment they sinned, they knew. I've got to go take my lamb that I've been raising and I've got to go put a knife to it. And I've got to, I've got to slaughter this animal because I sinned. There was a direct connection between their actions and the consequences that would rest upon something other than them. We don't have as direct a connection. We don't get to see blood. We don't get to see all that. But I want to tell you, we have even greater of a connection spiritually. I want to tell you, 2,000 years ago, we were Isaac. That knife was coming down. And I'm, I want to tell you, it doesn't even need to go back 2,000 years ago. I want to tell you, there's some folks in the building tonight. You know where you've been. You know who you've been with. You know the things you've involved yourself in. And you know that the judgment of God's like that knife, and it will come down in your life. But you have an opportunity today to repent of all of your sins to be baptized in Jesus' name and to receive his spirit. And now it's just like the Old Testament. They'd find a, they'd find a lamb and, and, a, and sometimes they'd find a goat and they'd lay their hand on it and they would literally be saying, this lamb is going to take all my sins. Everything I did wrong. You remember when I lied, cheated, so we talked about confession on Sunday? They're talking, to, they're telling the priest in the Old Testament, here's all the things I've done. But they'd lay their hand on that sacrifice and they'd say, all right, it's the sacrifice's job now. And Isaac is there, and he's going, okay, there's no sacrifice for me. And the knife's coming up. And all of a sudden, when God speaks, they look back, and they find that ram. Whew. His heart was pumping. And he all of a sudden thought, here we go. I'm so thankful that God showed up. And they have a direct connection. I want to tell you how it is for us now. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, got up on that cross. And it's as if we laid our hands on Jesus and said, all right, crucify him, not me. And they said it best in the New Testament. They didn't know what they were saying, but they said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. They didn't realize that blood would wash away all their sins. They didn't realize that blood would be the perfect substitute for all of their wrongdoing. And everyone that joined him in the death, burial, and resurrection would be saved from death. I want to tell you, church, this goes beyond just a book. I want to tell you, this goes to every sin you've ever committed, everything you've ever done wrong. I want to tell you, Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God, and the Bible says He takes away the sins of the world. Would you lift up your hands one more time and just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Amen. I don't know about you, but 
Amen. First Corinthians 6 and 9 says, Amen. And such were some of us. Amen. But we are washed. We are cleansed. We are justified by the blood. Amen. He didn't redeem us with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Amen. I was, I was destined to die. I was on my way to hell. But Jesus put himself between me and that knife. He put himself between me and death. Amen. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Lift up your hands one more time in Jesus' name. Father, we love you. We thank you tonight. We thank you for your perfect sacrifice. We thank you, Lord, that you're the lamb that takes away all of our sins. And I pray, God, that we'd go find somebody else and just tell them the lamb was already slain and all you got to do is go through the death, burial, and resurrection. All you got to do is repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and you too can have the substitution of God in your life. Somebody give him a hand clap of praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Shake hands. Be friendly. Love one another. Don't forget Sunday. And then all of our ladies. Amen. In fact, let's do that right now. All of our ladies that are going on ladies conference. Amen. We want to we praise the church that God would keep his hand in protection. Church, would you help us pray? Lord, we pray right now for all of our ladies that are driving a ladies conference over that mountain pass. God, I pray that you'd keep your hand of protection upon them. Amen. That, God, that they would go with the grace of God and that every speaker at that conference, I pray, God, that they would bring a word to our ladies so they can bring that back here and have revival in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Shake hands. Be friendly. Love one another. Amen. We love you. God bless you.